You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Well, we're going to begin a new series today, uh, and we are going through the book of First. John. And so, unfortunately, because the, the, um, uh, the launch is just a few weeks away, we're not going to be able to get through the entire book. Consider this a foray. Consider this a little jaunt, okay? Not quite journey status, but a little jaunt through the book of 1 John. And as we prepare for this text, I want to ask you this question. And I want honest answers here, okay? We're an honest community. I'm just curious, have you ever had to set the record straight? Oh, oh, I might have stepped on a nerve here. Yes, I got some laughter. I got you. I got you, right? Have you ever had to set the record straight? And so maybe you're here. Oh, no, Daniel, I may need you, bro. I'm going to set the record straight here with my television. I try to put the TV straight, not my record. So you get it straight. All right, so maybe you're here, and you said something to someone, and somebody comes up to you, and they say, hey, I heard you said, blah, 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 right? And you're going, whoa, wait a minute, what? Ever been there? Or maybe, maybe you, you did something, right? You did something and somebody says, hey, I heard that you did X, Y, Z, or I heard you were thinking about doing this. And you hear them and you're just going, where did you hear that? And you begin to set the record straight. Have you ever been in that situation, right? Something you said got twisted or manipulated. Something you did was misinterpreted. Ignore the man behind the curtain here. Ignore them. Oh, I unplugged the TV. I'm sorry, man. These guys work so hard, don't they? Can we give it up for our media team? They, they have to keep up with me. And so pray for them and encourage them and affirm them. Thank you so much, guys. Um, yeah, we're good. All right, so here, my question for you is this, right? When you find yourself in those situations and, and like, you know, something gets twisted on the grapevine, right? Or, or something gets lost in the game of telephone that involves you. What do you do? How do you feel in those moments? What's your response? Anybody feel the, the need to, to get defensive and rise to a level of frustration, right? Come on, we're my honest people, right? Oh, what? No way! And, and you just, you're going you're gonna to set the record straight. Maybe you're in here and you're just like mildly frustrated. We're like, oh, I can't believe they thought I did that. Anybody just mildly frustrated? Okay. And then how many super spiritual people do we have in here where it's just like, it ain't no thing, right? You just brush it off and you go, people are going to believe what they're going to believe. Anybody? Yeah, I didn't think so, right? <laughs> it's like, this is a sermon on lying. <clears throat> and so we're beginning our journey. I want you to think of that because we're beginning our journey through the book of 1 John, which is written by John, not John the Baptist. It's actually written by John the Apostle. So he was part of the inner three, Peter, James, and John. He's part of the inner three of Jesus. He lived with and walked with Jesus for three years. He also authored the bigger book of the Bible called John, which is an account of Jesus' life and death. And so we're going to dive into his little letter here, and you may be surprised that John had to set the record straight, okay? And so history tells us that John was an elder. Uh, later in his life, he spent a season being an elder at the church in Ephesus, right? And so he's teaching people about Jesus, what Jesus had taught him. He's handing down to disciples who are making disciples, who are teaching disciples. And somewhere along the way, get this, 
people from within his own congregation, members of his own church, they start to rise up and they are starting to twist things that John was teaching. They're starting to manipulate what John was saying. As a matter of fact, they rise up, they form their own brand of doctrine. They actually start traveling around trying to win converts to their new religion, a twist of what John had originally said. And the word gets back to John. Hey, John, is that what you meant when you said? And John needs to set the record straight this morning. And so again, I don't know what your response is when somebody twists what you're saying, but here's what John does. You ready? John, he reaches into his pocket, he takes out a pen, and he puts that pen to paper, and he writes a letter in order to set the record straight. And we have that letter right here. It's called 1 John. And here's what you need to understand, okay? John, at, at this stage of life, with his life experience, with his spiritual maturity, he is not writing to defend his honor. He is not writing because the well-being of his reputation is at stake. He is writing because he knows that these doctrines that they're teaching, there's more on the line than just his reputation. And what's on the line is the health and the well-being of God's people. And so that's why he's writing here, okay? And the letter that he has, that he wrote, we have it. And we're going to spend the next few weeks going through there. Does that sound good? Do you understand 1 John? Yeah, you're excited. I get you, Karen. Let's do this. He's writing this letter so that, number one, people would know the truth, and then, number two, they would know how to tell if they're in the truth. Unlike those people who went away twisting the doctrine, he's writing this letter so that we would know the truth and so that we would know how to tell if we truly are in the truth. So you ready for this? Should we do this? Can I show you the Bible? All right, here we go. Setting the record straight. Starting in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Let's pause right there. The way that I like to do it, we just go a few verses, and then we explain it. We see what God is saying, and then we'll go to the second half here. So the first part here, he's writing this letter to a group of Christians, right? He's going to teach them. He's going to cover a lot in this little book. But before he gets to the meat of his letter, before he gets to the substance of what he wants to talk about, John, first and foremost, needs to set a foundation, he needs to set the groundwork because everything that he's about to say, he is rooting it in the identity and nature of who this man is, Jesus Christ, okay? He has a lot to say. He wants to teach us about being a follower of Jesus, but before he gets there, he wants to make sure we're on the same page. Do we understand who it is that we are following? And so he's rooting his letter here in the beginning. Who is Jesus who is he? And so I'm just curious, how would you answer the question, who is Jesus? Well, you know, Jesus is, you know, you know. No, who is Jesus? What do you believe? What do you teach your children? And so I have a lot of friends that, that are out there, and, and see, the thing about Jesus that's beautiful is nobody in this world denies his existence, Right? He's a historical figure, and so we have to wrestle with this. Who is Jesus? So I have friends that would tell me, Sam, yes, I, I, I believe Jesus was a person, but like he was a good human. Have you ever heard that? Jesus was a solid teacher. 
He was a leader, you know, charismatic leader probably. I mean, he's a philanthropist. He has a thought leader. If he was here today, he would no doubt be on a TED Talk or two. Maybe he would show up on, you know, Good Morning America. A thought leader, an inspirational figure. That's Jesus. Nothing more. I have other friends who would say, well, you know, come on, you got to give him more credit than that. He wasn't just a good human. He was a world changer. If there was a Mount Rushmore, Right? If there was a Mount Rushmore of world changers, Jesus would be on that pantheon with Gandhi, Martin Luther King, and Oprah. Okay? There's a movement in our world that we need to, we need to squelch this. They're trying to put the Kardashians on that, on that um, Mount Rushmore, and I just don't understand it. But that's Jesus, right? He was a world changer. He lived, he died, but he was such a world changer that his life caused ripple effects. But he died. And then there are other people who would say, no, you're still not giving him enough credit. Jesus was a spiritual symbol. He was just a man, but what he stood for and his ideas, they are enduring. And so, yes, he died, he's dead, there's no eternity. But you have to understand, Jesus was a spiritual symbol. The idea of Jesus that has evolved through the centuries is way more important than the actual historical Jesus. So I don't care what Jesus was like, I just, what he stood for is what's important. Is this what you believe about Jesus? These answers are out here, friends, and they've always been out here. These are the same exact things that, that John is experiencing among his followers, and that's who he's writing to. As a matter of fact, people from within his own congregation, who they were on the opposite end of this, they said, no, 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 this is not Jesus. He wasn't just a human. As a matter of fact, he wasn't even an actual man. Look, this is wild. There were people who said, see this? Flesh and blood, this is, this is dirty. This is evil. This is stained. And so Jesus was like an ethereal, angelic, divine being, and he wasn't actually in the person. It just looked like that. But he would have nothing to do. Like, you couldn't actually touch him or see him or hear him. And so these ideas are out there. And what John is saying as he begins his letter, he's saying, he's saying this very clearly. Your views are too small. These perspectives of Jesus are incompatible with everything that I'm about to say. And so you can't understand the rest of this letter until your perspective is drawn up, until your perspective is zoomed out, and you understand that he was more than a man. He was more than a teacher. Jesus was more than an idea. He was the timeless one who stepped into time. The timeless one stepped into time. When we say timeless, let's be very clear here. Look what he says. He says he was from the beginning. Jesus was born as a baby, yes, on Christmas morning. We get that. We'll celebrate it here in a few months. But he didn't come into existence on Christmas Day. He simply put on flesh. He preexisted for all of eternity with the Father. He was timeless. Jesus, that person, he's existed forever. Let me give you a little pop quiz. Which book of the Bible begins with these three words? Can we hear it? Genesis. Yeah, you're wrong. No, you're right. You're right. It does, but there's actually another book of the Bible that begins with those three words, and it's this. It's the other book that John wrote. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
You see, John, he begins his gospel with those three words because he's making an allusion to the beginning of the Bible. He's basically saying to his audience, he's making a point, you've heard in the beginning God. I'm here to tell you that in the beginning there was also Jesus. I'm here to tell you that when God spoke the universe into existence, that agent of creation, that word that he used was Jesus Christ, the timeless one. He is the word of life. He is the eternal son of God. And so when he comes here and he's talking about in the beginning in his letter, he's riffing off of the bigger gospel. And he's reminding us Jesus was timeless. Take a moment to get your mind wrapped around that, right? He existed for all of eternity. You try to get your, your mind wrapped around it. It's mind-bending. And as we look at this picture, whether you believe me or not, as you look at this picture, you realize that our little views of Jesus are caricatures that pale in comparison of the cosmic portrait, the glorious picture, the universe-shaping, eternal, timeless Son of God, Jesus Christ. He's the timeless one. Chew on that. <laughs> But John's not done yet, right? As if the timelessness of Jesus wasn't enough to warp our minds, he drops the next hammer. And look what he says. He says, hey, you know this eternal, timeless God that I'm telling you about? You know him? Yeah? I've seen him. What? Look what he says here. He says, that which was from the beginning, we've heard it. I haven't just heard of him, I heard from him. He goes, oh yeah, I've seen it with my eyes. I have touched him with my hands. I have seen the hairs on his arm. I have eaten with him because that timeless one was made manifest to us. The timeless one stepped into time. Maybe you're um, a college graduate and you've taken a religious studies course. Or maybe you're even a religious studies major, right? And so if you're a religious studies student and you're hearing this letter, you might assume a logic like this. The timeless one has stepped into time. But that cannot be verified. And you can't actually see him. He appeared to me in private in my closet and he told me to tell you to believe me because then you'll really be counted worthy if you just take my word for it. And which we all go, right, that sounds like Mormonism. Because it is. He doesn't give you any of that logic. He says, and the other people that are writing this letter, and the other apostles who have received from Jesus and are passing it down, the other disciples who are literally dying because they refuse to not stick to their story, what they're saying is this. This Jesus, we actually saw him. We touched him. This is verifiable. This is real. He, we have seen it, and we testify to it. This is firsthand eyewitness testimony. As surely as you and I are here, the timeless one stepped into time. That's Jesus. And so let me ask you again, friends, what is your view of Jesus Christ? What's your view? What's your conclusion about the man who walked on this earth 2,000 years ago? See, because John has a lot to tell us about being a follower of Jesus. But before he can get there, he needs to make sure that we're on the same page. Do we understand the nature of the one that we are following? Do we understand it? Who is Jesus? So John, he personally knows the timeless one. <laughs> he knows the timeless one. He sat with him. He ate with him. He knows him 
But as we look at the second half of our passage, we realize this. He's not content with just knowing him. He's not content with just knowing him. This picture, this portrait of Jesus has created a certain impulse inside of him. And it's an impulse that exists in a lot of you in this room. And so look what he does with this impulse. He says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John's experiences with this timeless one have so impressed him, they have so changed his life, that he is now spending the rest of his life sharing and telling others what he has seen and heard. That's what he's doing in this very letter. He's like, I'm writing this to you because I am proclaiming. He's doing this for a very specific purpose. He's telling others. Why? So that you too may have fellowship with us. He wants to see his fellowship with the Father, his fellowship with Jesus. He wants to see that come to a point where it also includes you. And that's our second point here. Our fellowship with God moves us to reach others. Our fellowship with God, it moves us to reach others. And so here's where we have to ask the question, what does fellowship mean? Okay? And so a lot of times, especially in the church, right? anybody grow up in church? I'm just curious. How many of you have been in church since you were a baby? Okay, great. So not all of you, but, but so many of you. And so you, you know that when mom and dad says it's time for fellowship, you're like, mmm. Fellowship means food, right? <clears throat> fellowship is what we do right after church when we go and have a barbecue in my backyard. There are some church buildings that they literally have in their church a what kind of hall? A fellow. See, you've heard of these things, right? And so that's cool, but that's not what fellowship means. <laughs> fellowship, and, and I don't always like to bust out Greek, right? I'm not a Greek geek, but I think this is important. The word for fellowship is koinonia. Let's say it together. It just, it's therapeutic. Say koinonia. Koinonia, right? You may have even heard of a church. Koinonia Fellowship Church of the Brethren. You know, like sometimes it's really trendy to put a Greek word in your name. I voted for Koinonia Charitas Escapilio Church, and Ty said no. So East Point Church, I guess it's good enough, right? It could have been cool, church. We could have been cool. But koinonia is this, all right? Koinonia is the sharing I'm going to put it up here. Koinonia is the sharing and the partaking of something together. The sharing and the partaking of something together. It is a mutual participation. It is a shared experience. It's something we're doing together. So when the Bible talks about the koinonia of the saints or Christian koinonia, it's saying our mutual participation in our faith, in the gospel, and in the life that flows out of this. And so let me show you here with a little illustration, okay? Sometimes in our world, we like to think of our faith kind of like this. <sighs> Party of one, please, right? And look what I'm eating here. In case you don't know, let me show you. This is my favorite TV dinner, okay? Uh, serving size, one pizza. Thank you very much for me. And so I'm experiencing my meal solo. This is me. This is my meal. It's very private thank you, have a nice day, okay? And there's a lot of people that view their faith like this. It's a TV dinner. My faith is private. 
It's very intimate. This is personal. This is just me and Jesus. And so you can experience your meal over there, but this is me, okay? Does this go up at all, Daniel? Where's Daniel? Daniel? I'm just kidding. I'm good. I'm good. And so when, the, when John is talking about his faith, he doesn't say solonia. That's not a Greek word. Don't hold, don't hold me to it. He doesn't say solonia. He says koinonia, a mutual participation. And so rather, I don't want to do that, right, with a TV dinner. I want to have a meal. They got real bread. I'm telling you, our media team is phenomenal. They're just extra mile. And so when you're here at a meal, this is not, you know, four or five different people that are kind of doing their own thing in close proximity to one another. We're not, share, we're not having a private moment just in the nearness and presence of others. No, there is a, a shared bread. I mean, there's a, we're kind of, you know, excuse my reach, and, and as one person goes, we all go, and, and this is an event. This is an experience. This is, this is like, hey, five o'clock, dinner starts, be there, because there is a mutual participation and a mutual partaking of something together. This is our faith, koinonia. It is a fellowship. It is a mutual partaking in the gospel, and we are sharing. And so as my buddy Jordan goes, I go, right? And so as Amy is weeping, I'm weeping. And as Chad is rejoicing, I'm rejoicing because we are in this together. We're a community. We're a family. And the gospel that we're all partaking in together, it is it's sweeter when it's together. This is like Olive Garden. That's what church should be when you're here, your family. We needed breadsticks from Olive Garden. How do we miss that? <laughs> Next time. <laughs> Next time. When we have two services, I'll be able to correct those things like halfway through the day, you know. Is this your view of the faith? Is this how you see what your faith is? Because that's what John says. It's koinonia. There is a fellowship. And look at this, friends. Look who is also at the table with us, fellowshipping with us, experiencing this with us. Who is it? Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so at this table with us, we're not a fellowship of people who talk about God. No, no, this gospel community, he's actually here in our midst, and he's sitting with us, and we are communing with the Father, and we're communing with the Son, and we are indwelt by the Spirit. This is a gospel community. This is our church. Welcome to the family. And what John is saying here, he says, man, I love fellowship with the Father. I love fellowship with my church family. I love mutually participating and partaking in this together. But, but it is my genuine hope and prayer that you too may have fellowship with us. Just like God moved toward John, John is saying, I'm moving toward others. Let me put it another way. It is John's genuine hope and prayer that the table would grow. Us four, no more. Come on, man. Hey, this is a tight table. I got friendships. I got relationships. Hey, God, stop sending them over. Right? We're, we're good. We're good right here. John says, it is my utmost desire that this table would grow that more and more people would come and they would realize that they were created. They were literally created and designed to experience this, the family of God. That they were created to be in fellowship, to be in relationship with their creator. And they would come and they would realize that the bread of the gospel is so much more satisfying than anything that the world is selling. And they would come and they would leave it behind and they would find home 
That's what I want, John says. Is that what you want? If so, I'm going to tell you this, you're going to fit in around here. Because that's the kind of church that we are. We want to see the table grow. And as the table grows, our joy grows. Look what he says here, right? He says, I want this. Why? So that our joy may be complete. John's not like, he's not writing a letter. He's not preaching a sermon in a very detached way, right? Like, hey, FYI, public service announcement, I'm supposed to tell you this. Jesus loves you. Do with it what you may. He's not dispassionate. He's not detached. He's not just like, yeah, take it or leave it. He says, I want this so much that my joy, my affection is directly tied to the outcome of this thing. Those three years with Jesus has filled him with a consuming passion, not just to know him, but to make him known. So much so that his joy is directly affected. Let me pause there and just and tell you, from one dude to another or to dudettes, like, this is our message. We want you to join us at the table. We want you to come and experience fellowship with God and be a part of the family. Notice here, this is so different from what you might see on TV or hear in the radio. We're not selling you something to purchase. We're offering you something to partake in. This is not a gimmick. This is not a sales thing. This is, we are proclaiming like John that there is something here that you were designed to be a part of. Would you join us at the table? We're inviting you to partake because it would make our joy complete. And so if you're in here and you're hearing this, whether it's the first time or the millionth time, ask yourself, what is my next step in following Jesus? Maybe you're here and you're like, man, I've kind of been loosely affiliated. My parents take me or I'm kind of loosely affiliated. My neighbor takes me. What are you waiting for? (laughs) What are you waiting for? Jesus came to bring us to the table Come. What's your next step? Talk to someone in the lobby. Text us at our phone number. Come and talk to me. Whatever it is, what are you waiting for? Take your next step. And the other question I want to ask you, church, just point blank. Do you feel joy when the table grows? Do you? Or can you take it or leave it? Another baptism. That's kind of cool. Is it possible for you to keep your eyes dry when you see someone get into the tank and go public with their faith? Are you deeply moved to see people coming into this participation, into this relationship with the living God and his people? Because if that's you, like I said, you will fit in here. Because that's the mission of our church. It's to know Jesus, to grow in our faith, to commune with him, but then also to reach the world and to make him known all the way to St. Michael's, all the way to Greens, Greensboro, is that correct? Greensboro, all the way to Centerville, all the way to Kenya. We exist to know him and to make him known because that's what we do. Those who know him make him known. This is not an optional upgrade for those of you in the room who are more spiritual. You know, you're like, well, I've achieved spiritual elite status, and so now I will begin to tell other people. This is baseline. This is what we do. We know him, and therefore we make him known. And you know why? 
Because Jesus Christ was the ultimate missionary. He left the comforts and the culture of heaven, and he came to earth. He moved into our neighborhood. He put on flesh to make the Father known. And because we are having fellowship with Jesus here, he's, he's rubbing off on us. And his missionary heart is now coming into us, and he gives us his spirit. And so the missionary God is now rubbing off and creating a missionary people. And so just like he came to us, we go to others. Just like he made the Father known to us, we are making the Father known to others. And our obsession is to know him, to live out this fellowship, and then to make him known. To make him known. Those who know him make him known. And so here's what I want to do. As the band comes up, as we prepare to respond, I'm going to pray for you. I pray for you every day. I hope you know that, church. I love you so much, and I pray for you every day. I pray for our ministry partners by name. I go down my roster, and I mark it up, and I pray for you. And here's what I'm going to pray for you today. I'm going to ask you, right? If you're in here, and you're saying, Sam, I want more of a missionary heart. I want God's missionary heart, and I need more of that in my life. I'm going to pray for you. Is there anybody in here who would say, Sam, please include me in that prayer. I want to have more joy at the sight of people knowing Jesus. Anybody want me to pray for you? Yes, I will pray for you. I will. I will include that in my prayer. Lord, give us more of your missionary heart. And then I'll also say a second prayer. For those of you in this room that say, Sam, enough is enough. I need to take my next step and follow Jesus whatever that next step may be, but would you like me to pray for you that you would have the courage and that you would take action to take your next step as a follower of Jesus? Anybody want me to pray for you? Yeah, I will pray for you. Absolutely, I will pray for you. Anyone else? Sam, pray for me. Yeah, for sure, I will pray. Well, let's do that right now. Let's go to the Father who we have fellowship with him, and let's ask him to do that in our hearts. Father, we come before you, Lord, just so grateful that you have revealed yourself through Jesus. We're so grateful, Lord, that you loved us so much that you brought us into relationship with you. Not because of what we've done, not because we're good enough, but, Lord, because you loved us, period, hard stop. And so, Father, I pray for my friends here, Lord, who are like me and life gets busy and, and we lose sight of the big perspective. Would you give them your missionary heart? Would you give them more desire to see the table grow so that they can say, just like John, that their joy would be complete if people were to come to faith. Give us more of your heart, God. And then, Lord, I also pray for, for those in this room who just, we're, we're all at different parts of our journey. So for those who have yet to follow you, for those who are maybe early in their faith, wherever they are, give them the courage to take the next step. I pray, Lord, that they would realize that every step they take toward you is actually only a response and a reaction to a massive step that you've already taken toward them. So there's no fear, there's no hesitancy. God, you moved toward us, and so we are responding with a move toward you. So I pray for those who, who put their faith in you, Lord, and it's time for them to get baptized, to go public with their faith. I pray for those who are ready to talk with an elder or talk with a, a ministry partner and just share their story, whatever their next step is, Lord. Be with them and use that in their life to grow them so that you would be glorified, so that we would know you, that we would have fellowship with you, and that we would be a church on the Eastern Shore that makes you known, that we would grow in faith and reach the world to your glory. We love you, Father. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, 
And the church said, amen. Let's stand to our feet and let's respond this morning.